You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we don't make a wish when it's 11 11. I'm your host. Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. It's interesting saying that disclaimer for this episode because when I was doing the show prep, I was reflecting on how the content of this week's farce is the same stuff we've been talking about for months, really. Years, actually. Years. Or not months, years. And it's crazy to me how we're still talking about this and how I, I remember, this is what specifically popped in my head. I remember at one point on this show, I said, you know, the thing that's coming down the pipeline that is going to be pushed more is transgender. I, I said that on the show. It came to fruition. And I had no idea how extreme things were going to get. And even saying that word extreme, it's a good thing I had the disclaimer in there because things have gone to a level that I don't even think I could have anticipated. So we're going to talk a lot about all this stuff. We're going to talk some more about uh, Disney and DeSantis because that's still going on for some reason. But to do all that, we need to have my co-host joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege. William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, we were talking about before the show. How long has it been? Did I? How long has it been since I've been identifying as a woman? Like, I, I need to know that date so that we can properly celebrate. I think is really what it comes down to. But uh, I have no idea. But maybe one of the listeners will remember when when I was first uh, first first uh, came out of the closet uh, <laughs> with, with the intro. Um, I know the, the funniest thing about what you just said is we were sitting there trying to go through documents and figure out what what episode you first identified as a woman in and you know what you just found the simpler solution just just a just listener the, knows yeah, there's some listener knows. out there yeah. <laughs> we have uh, podcast amnesia somebody out there has like a spreadsheet with everything in yeah. it yeah we need a super fan giovanni style uh insider that can can look that up but uh you know i've got some uh got some good progress so that we had another store under construction uh, i'll probably share it out on the patreon only part of discord so folks can see the Got another store coming together, so uh, I'll be uh, be busy around June time. It looks like is when that store is going to open. So uh, that's exciting. Where's news. this one? Uh, this one is in Petaluma, so up up in Northern California. So exciting oh, it about. sounded like South America, Petaluma. Yeah, <laughs> well, not we haven't expanded internationally yet, but that, you know that is that is on the ten year plan. Wait, did you say pedophilia? Oh no, just canceled <laughs> before we even get out of the intro. <laughs> That's that 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 sounds like a front. It's it's not a pizza store, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right, you want to get into actual farce? Oh man, can we ever? Let's do it in life on the midside. Take a good look around. Just like 
As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, perhaps most of all, affirmations. All right, William, before we get into the Disney stuff, before we get into the trans stuff, and I say trans because now we're getting to the point where we're talking about other suffixes or other root words, I should say, that we're putting the prefix trans in front of besides gender. So that's why I say trans. I don't say it to be dismissive or belittling. Right? I want to talk about something. I, I think you sent this one. Did you send the Texas Public Radio link, William, yeah, or did I, did I just see it? I think okay. I did. <laughs> so this is for a podcast, okay? And this is the headline. How misinformation became the leading cause of death in the U.S. and what can be done about it. So that's the headline. And I clicked on this link, and it's for a podcast. Now, I'm not going to listen to this entire podcast, William. I'm sorry. This is a clickbait headline. But I was interested where they were getting the clickbait from. So here is the two-paragraph description of this podcast episode. Medical misinformation is killing people, according to the head of the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Robert Califf. Oh, sorry. That's not my fault. That's their fault. This is poorly written, right? That's a period. It's not a comma. Dr. Robert Califf blames misinformation and disinformation. What's the difference? What's the difference? Okay, wait. What's the difference between misinformation and disinformation? Uh, I guess misinformation is wrong information. And disinformation is information that's correct, but is contextualized to make some other lie, to reinforce some other mistruth or lie. Wouldn't that make it wrong in that context? Yeah. So wouldn't that also make it misinformation? Could we say disinformation is a part of misinformation? I think I would in my definition I just gave. All right. Is disinformation Disney information? (laughs) Disney information, yeah. All right. So misinformation and disinformation about public health for the fact that life expectancy in the U.S. is between three and five years lower than it is in other high income countries. And then the second paragraph, experts are trying to figure out how to fight medical misinformation more effectively. In this episode, we'll hear from Tara Kirksell from the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Center for Health Security. Sell has written a report pushing for a national strategy to fight public health misinformation. Center for Health Security, William. Health Security. Don't you work in information security? I do. I'm trying to think what health security is that is different than information security. Is this just another marketing word? Or are we going to start seeing, you know, this is common in the information security field, a lot of technology fields, but there's a lot of uh, jargon hype that drives sales engineering. So I, I think that's part of it, but I also think this is a part for social engineering. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I, I found the original article they're referring to or the original quote. I don't know if they're actually referring to this CNBC article, but what they're what they're talking about here is Caliph said, why aren't we using medical products as effectively and efficiently as our peer countries? A lot of it has to do with choices that people make because of the things that influence their thinking. So here's the key word here, William. Choices that people make because of the things that influence their thinking. Now, mm-hmm. Caliph is, of course, referring to there's a chart in this CNBC article. The CNBC article is called Health Misinformation is Lowering U.S. Life Expectancy. FDA so Commissioner like eating, Robert the, the, Well, let's says, be clear. The information they're talking about, this is like eating lots of carbs and grains, right? 
That's the misinformation they're talking about, the food pyramid. Right. Well, I see what you did there. Right. They're the ones who caused the misinformation. Yes, we can get into that in a second. Hold on. You're jumping ahead of me. Let me let me establish what's going on first. Right. You're going to the end. I want to make it so this show is accessible even for people who don't already agree with us. Okay, William? Right? Jeez. But I, I do agree with what you were <laughs> so, saying. So most, most, most people that we're trying to make yeah. this accessible for most people. Most people, right? Because uh, I'm insane. I'm in the corner of my closet. Remember that. Okay. <laughs> so there's this chart. It says life expectancy of the USA in the US is lower than it is in other large economies. And on one axis is the GDP per capita, and on the other axis is life expectancy. So the life expectancy for the U.S. is at about 76 years, and the GDP per capita is 70,000. Whereas for Japan, the GDP is the lowest per capita, 39,000, but the life expectancy is 84.5 years. And Switzerland, where the GDP is 91,000 per capita, the life expectancy is 84 years. So this is essentially what they're using to measure how we should, right? And now this is the word I'm talking about, William, and this is where you're jumping ahead, right? Should, you know, our life expectancy shouldn't be 76 years, right? We're, we're looking at Japan, 84 and 84.5 and Switzerland, 84. And we're, we're looking at that. We're going, well, why are we that high? And they're talking about choices here, right? So let's, let's continue with the quotes here. You think about the impact of a single person reaching a billion people on the internet all over the world. We weren't prepared for that. We don't have societal rules that are adjudicating it quite right. I think it's impacting our health in very detrimental ways. We have an indirect role and we have a ready William. This is where you were saying drum roll bully pulpit to make the public aware and put some pressure on. Caliph said, noting that he has previously said drug prices are set by what you can get minus the shame factor. So here's the thing, William. They are wanting to trade freedom in the form of people's choices, yeah. right? I, I'm not going to argue that, there, that there's misinformation and disinformation out there. But not for what you just said, longevity, not for individual longevity, for collective longevity. Yeah. Look at how he says this. Uh, our health. It's impacting our health in very detrimental ways. William, correct me if I'm wrong. Scientifically, isn't health an individual phenomenon? Yeah. So is longevity. No. Yes, correct. Now, we could create infrastructure, right? We could create a culture in which... we can talk about societal incentives and things like that. Right, but what he is literally talking about here is using rules set by the federal government in order to socially engineer longevity, increase average life expectancy, without asking the question of what is the quality of life that is being traded off? Right. So we're talking a difference of about nine years in life expectancy. Yes. 76 versus 85. What if we live 76 years or every individual lives 76 years of higher quality life than the 85 years of other cultures? Are we just going to look at that rote number and say, oh, it's better to live 85 years? Yeah. All of this is. And it gets back to what you said. 
about individual choice, right? Like there are people who choose to work dangerous jobs, let's say, or choose to, yes, you know, pursue dangerous hobbies and dangerous. I don't mean like, you know, like super dangerous. Like I do rock climbing occasionally like that. That could affect my life expectancy, Justin. We'll just talk you, about NFL you... players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's what's a, what's a linebacker or a center's life expectancy, right? But what's the quality of life? Exactly. Right? I mean, exactly. Can, well, I don't know. I might take 10 or 20 years off my life to like have that. I'm not even talking about the money. I'm talking about that experience. Yeah. Like that is a unique human experience these people get. Yeah. I think there's something to be said though. Like we, we talk about this uh, a lot. There is a root of truth here. And I kind of hinted at it with the, uh, with the, uh, you know, the food pyramid misinformation is there is an aspect of like, Hey, we should be trying to get the right information out. But Justin, isn't this Certainly, like the I people? Agree. Isn't this like the priestly class lamenting the Gutenberg press? Right. Yes. Like th th this is exactly that. Well, I mean, I, I assume what you're saying with the food pyramid is the largest purveyor of misinformation, disinformation, whatever label we want to use that has hurt public health is. The federal government with the food pyramid, yeah. with the food pyramid and the Ansel food Keys pyramid. And, and the cholesterol heart hypothesis. These are all things that have had a tremendously negative effect. And it is that's the, the priestly class is putting out this misinformation and then uh, getting up in arms when there's misinformation not provided. You know, the, the, the issue here, Justin, is that the misinformation is being provided by people other than the priestly class. Right. Because they want to be the ones in control of everything was what yeah. it comes back to. Right. Which is where I say, is there even a legitimate need to measure uh, a cultural, societal average life expectancy? Now, the argument against that is the idea that, well, that's how we it's one way of looking at things if things are getting better. But how do you have that measurement while also factoring in the human choice variable? That we were talking about. That yeah. seems to be the difficulty here. Because when you talk about bully pulpit, that is the terminology he used, right? This yeah. is the guy at the FDA used, the FDA commissioner used that term, bully pulpit. Hmm, seems like he's probably friends with, uh, what's his name? Fauci? Uh, Fauci? I thought you'd say Fauci. Or I thought oh, you'd yeah. push the I am the science, right? Push that drop. <laughs> Where is that? Hold on. Oh, we have to follow the science. Yeah, Push we have that. to follow the science. Well, i got to find it. Here we go. We've got to follow the science. Yeah, we got Doesn't to follow it, science. I mean, look, I, I hate to be this guy, but, like, I am this guy. Like, Caliph, Fauci, it, aren't these Ayn Rand villains at this point? Like, <laughs> when they were saying, oh, Ayn Rand's unrealistic with, like, the villains who designed the skyscraper to look like a basement. Remember that scene? And they all had a meeting together about socially engineering things. Doesn't yeah. that seem like what Caliph and Fauci are at this point? The bully pulpit? I mean, they're literally trying to eliminate human choice and yeah. just bully people into increasing life expectancy. Yep. I don't know if you saw and uh, Josh M in Discord says it's a word that justifies more government since they're the ones to have to protect you. I think what he's trying to say is... William, my degree from FU says you are 100% correct. I think that's what he's trying to say. I said you were correct. <laughs> I just said you jumped ahead in the story with your irony with the food pyramid. Oh, protection. He's saying the, the word, word is protection. protection. Yeah. 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 <laughs> correct. It's the, the idea that we have to protect ourselves from ourselves because that's ultimately what it comes down to. 
right? Ultimately, what Josh is getting at is, and what we haven't addressed yet, is the idea that, oh, you're too dumb yourself to battle misinformation, right? You, you, you are not capable of looking at all the information out there and making an informed choice and making a choice that is in line with your own values. They have to make the choice for you. That's what really it comes down to, right? Because isn't that what they were mad about us with COVID, right? The idea that, oh, we could in, in an informed way not wear a mask. Oh, They yeah. wanted to force oh, us yeah. all to wear masks. Yeah, I think, uh, I, think uh, I posted something just this morning about uh, people, people with long COVID being absolutely flipping their shit because hospitals are starting to remove the masking requirements. And so they, they're leaving the study, the long COVID study. Uh, because, uh, you know, because we're, you know, we're... We've got to follow the science. ...about masks, and now they're not wearing them, and so the Covidians are uh, flipping their shit. Yeah, I read that thread when you said it, and honestly, like, it was so incomprehensible. Yeah. It's a mental illness. It's crazy. I'm glad you said that, because when I read it, I, like, couldn't understand it. Like, a lot of stuff I could read and understand and be like, well, this is an argument, but... At least it's an argument. You know what I mean? But I was reading all that and I'm like, first of all, you were like one person was like, we drove three hours to participate in this study to hopefully get some relief from long COVID. And then they started wearing masks, which is only going to reinforce long COVID. And my my, my only thought was but they stopped. They stopped wearing masks. They stopped. Wearing masks. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the hospital stopped wearing masks. And they're yeah. like, that's going to only reinforce our long COVID. And the only thing I could think of is. Do you actually have long COVID or are you hallucinating into having long COVID? And I don't want to like project or diagnose because I'm not a a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything. But when I read that thread, I, I just it was so incomprehensible to me that that was the only way my brain could make sense of it. So I just shut it off. I just closed it. Should that be my new grinder name? Long COVID? <laughs> There's got to be something there about like. It, how you infect them or like yeah, yeah long covid it's only you can only get it orally or something like that yeah we, there's <laughs> something there we, I'll, we'll we'll work on it in patreon or sorry yeah, in Discord. that sounds like something you and all the uh the, the gay listeners can get to although i don't know if i'm allowed to say that nowadays we'll get into all that we'll get into all that because I, I think william over the rest of these stories your perspective is going to really be important for me and mm, i would assume the woman. listeners too as a woman as someone steeped in this community and as someone not in florida because for this next thing where we talk about dizzy a little bit more because there was a major development this week i really want to know william what all of this looks like to you so i'm going to give the background on what happened and i'm going to throw it to you because i could give my opinion on this but i of course live five miles off disney property so i don't know how much that's shading my perspective or not okay so, this week, Disney sued the state of Florida. Right, and here's an article. I'm going to read from AP News here. The Disney lawsuit asks a federal judge to void the governor's takeover of the theme park district, as well as the DeSantis over- Oversight Board's actions on the grounds that they were violations of the company's free speech rights. We've, of course, covered this in the past as part of the most magical farce on earth. The idea that DeSantis didn't like that Disney spoke out against the parental rights and education bill. And then I I don't know how you get around saying he targeted Disney over their policies and politics. And so 
Disney is filing a lawsuit saying him taking away the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which was the special district Disney was given to essentially preserve their free market over their area, right? They don't have a free market outside of that Reedy Creek Improvement District, but that was preserved because when Walt Disney came over here from California, he said, hey, we're going to develop this swampland, which Florida knew nobody would ever want to develop, and that was the deal they made. So Disney's saying that they only took that away. DeSantis in Florida only took it away because of them speaking against the parental rights and education bill. This is what DeSantis said. Here's his quote in relation and reply to the lawsuit. They're upset, they being Disney, because they're having to live by the same rules as everybody else. They don't want to pay the same taxes as everybody else, and they want to be able to control things without proper oversight. DeSantis said during a visit to Israel, the days of putting one company on a pedestal with no accountability are over in the state of Florida. William, there's a lot I could say about that quote, but I want to hear what you think. Well, I know I've been sharing some legal analysis um, of it, but this is more the philosophical analysis of it. I I think this is the take your ball and go home uh, strategy. And a lot of it is just political theater. But I'm not necessarily against making sure companies don't get special treatment. After all, that's what I want. What I would have preferred is, like we've talked about before, giving other companies the same equal treatment, right? Less, you know, like giving this freedom to develop um, and and sidestep uh, all this overburdensome regulation. I want to see more property, more, more respect to property rights, not less. And that's putting me, like, analyzing this, it's really hard because I don't understand Florida property law, first of all. But second of all, this sounds like more like an HOA fight that's being taken to the federal level. Does that make sense, Justin? It's like, well, yeah, we had this HOA. uh, We decided to change the HOA rules. But the actors here are the government and Disney. And and they're trying to play this out as both sides are trying to play this out as a political thing when I think it's a little more complicated than that. Well, I, I mean, it is an HOA thing essentially, but the the HOA had been given power in had been when given it was first founded, yeah, yeah, right, and and now it was being taken away. I I'm glad you said what you said because that's my whole thing about this quote is it just shows that it doesn't matter who the politician is, who the government official is, whatever side that official is on, they are always on the side of government power. Because yes, I yeah. agree, everybody should play by the same rules. I think that's the premise that he's using to get people on his side because he leads with that, right? He's like, oh, you know, that they're upset because they're having to live by the same rules as everybody else. Yeah, okay, I get that. That I agree with that premise. Everybody should play by the same rules. However, he then leads into, oh, well, proper oversight, which... Yeah, William, which I would be against, yeah. I don't, right, government is not, overs- government's role is not oversight. Right, because... Proper Sorry, oversight. not oversight. Yeah, not oversight of private people and private companies. That's not right. how government government's role should be. I have a really good point to make. Okay, proper oversight is adjacent to bully pulpit. Yeah, is it it's not the same thing? Yeah, it's 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 slightly less strong. It's because, that protection I mean, that uh, Josh right. M was bringing up, right? Protection. Correct. Correct. And that's where he go. That's what he leads into. The days of putting one company on a pedestal with no accountability are over in the state of Florida. 
right? So DeSantis, who seemed like, right, a great hero of freedom during the pandemic and was saying we're not going to use the government as oversight and we're going to return freedom to companies and the people, is now doing the opposite here. You know what, Justin? It might be, this might be an example, an actual example of... Floor ever purge. Right? <laughs> yeah. Ironically, right, It that can actually define or describe what is going on here, which is what the left wants all along, which is, to me, the most farcical thing about all of this, which is why I wanted to know what this looked like from your perspective, because you would think the left would be okay with this. Because why yeah. would the left want a Reedy Creek Improvement Board to be there? Well, it sounds like, you know, I have to use the other Florida drop, too, because it sounds, it, it, isn't this Gavin Newsom? I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight. Or join us in California, where we still believe in freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and the freedom to love. Don't let them take your it, it, freedom. It sounds it sounds a lot like Gavin Newsom, right? Yes. The whole uh, filing the lawsuit based on freedom of speech. But, I mean, again, they're kind of right, are they not, in the lawsuit? Well, I don't know legally, but, uh, but I think that, yeah, but... I think they would be, but when we look at them, they have the same mixed bad premises as well, right? They're right. not arguing that everyone Correct. should get this, right? That we should, government should not have this power, right? The state of Florida should not be right. able to do X, Y, and Z, right? That's Correct. not exactly what they're arguing. Yes. It's, it's, this is, this is a perfect example of how having no principles leads to a confrontation and a conflict between two sides that are actually pretty much on the same side without realizing it. Yeah. It's, it's no longer, this is where people say, and this was something I used to hate back in the day when I was young, when I was young, <laughs> I feel old back in the day. I'm old back in the day when I was young. Wow. That's the first time I said that in my life, <laughs> but hanging around high schoolers too much makes you feel old. But no, remember, I don't know, William, if you ever heard this or if people are still saying this, but I always used to hear growing up that relationships are just power struggles. And it's just about who's going to be the one who's more powerful in the relationship. Were you told that growing up? I guess not in so many words. There was a lot of, you know, the man uh, or sorry, the woman deferring to the man sort of talk, you know, being so Southern Baptist growing up. Right. So it's not an agreement between two people who decide how their relationship is going to be and who's going to do what, right? And who, how they're going to make decisions and things like that. It's one person trying to steal power from the other. And that's what this, that's what this disagreement is. And again, this goes back to what have we talked about on the show? Interpersonal hostility. The idea that everyone is an adversary of everyone. And that's what happens when you have no principles. Everything Mm. becomes interpersonal hostility. Does it not? Yeah. Moving forward, I'm not sure I can link that, although there does seem to be a lot of interpersonal hostility. Uh, There was a lot of uh, farce in regards to the prefix trans this week. The first was, of course, one of the most ridiculous headlines I've ever seen. Uh, Quote, God was really clear. Whoopi suggests the Bible supports parents getting trans surgery for kids. (laughs) Oh, Lord. 
Uh, now. So is circumcision considered part of, like, it's just like, oh, well, they talk about circumcision. It's just a little bit more. You're just cutting a little bit more off. <laughs> well, I guess it's a little for some of us, not for all of us. Well, that's true. <laughs> long COVID. <laughs> long, long John COVID. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so this article from the Daily Wire gets even funnier when you read it, right? Because the article isn't just about Whoopi Goldberg. So it, here's a paragraph I pulled out before we get to the Whoopi Goldberg quotes. Representative Zoe Zephyr, and it says Democrat for Democrat from Missoula. That's that's in Missouri, correct? Where's Missoula? I don't know. I will look it up. Google that. All right. Gonna... A biological male who identifies as female. Lashed Montana. out at Republic Montana. Montana. Okay. I've just never seen before in like parentheses here where it actually says the city. Do they do that for Congress people versus uh, Senate people? Is that how that works? Or House, sorry, House people versus Senate people? Because Senate's from a state, whereas House people are from. I think it's just the name of the district. district as well. Yeah. So it might, it might right. be the city in the. You know, there's some, there's some cities that the county is also. The same, right? Like Los Angeles County is the same as Los Angeles, the city. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just never seen that before. Anyway, Zoe Zephyr, which, by the way, definitely is not this person's real name. You'll find out in a second. A biological male who identifies as female. So this is this Zephyr person decided to identify as a woman and then changed his name to Zoe so he could have an Isn't alliterative Zoe? name. Did you copy paste that correctly? Z o o e y. That looks like Zoe, not Zoe. I copied and pasted that correctly, but look up how to spell Zoe Deschanel, the actress. I think it's spelled okay. the same way. All right. I, now, would you pronounce it Zo Zoe? I think so, but I I refuse to believe somebody changed their name to Zoe Zephyr. Hey, I learned <laughs> phonics. I know we're not supposed to use phonics anymore. We're supposed to use the whatever look see method, but that looks like Zoe to me, not Zoe. Dude, Zoe Zephyr sounds like a a. a Character from a preschool educational television series. <laughs> it does. So I refuse to say Zooey Zephyr. Right, right? I'm going to mis mispronoun here and misgender, and I'm going to mispronounce the name. Zoe Zephyr. He, a biological male who identifies as female, lashed out at Republican colleagues who oppose transgender surgeries for minors. I hope the next time there's an invocation when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. So before we even move forward to Whoopi Goldberg and Whoopi has kind of a good Kanye, bad Kanye thing going on here. Before we even move on, I want to talk about this. I hope you see the blood on your hands. William, what is going on where people are claiming there's a trans genocide going on? I don't know that I fully understand this because it's there's this premise that <clears throat> that has been used against parents that if you don't mutilate your child, they will commit suicide. That's the premise, right? Okay. So that, so that's where I was missing. I wasn't understanding. Yeah. The idea is the extermination is happening indirectly yes. by encouraging suicide. So they think they're intent. They think people are intentionally encouraging suicide or enabling suicide. Yes. By not yes. having gender not affirming having, care. If you don't if you don't have what they call gender affirming care, what what uh what uh then then yeah, you're causing suicide. 
Like okay, it's that, sort of like that, it's, it's 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 um what is it the when you're when you, it's the false cause what fallacy or what, what what because it's like they're looking at the effect and 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 uh making it the cause right yeah it's co- uh, correlation is not causation I don't yeah. know what the exact yeah. fa- fallacy name but is, you know what I'm saying yeah, right? it's like hey yes. these kids are um, you know especially you know they have these following mental issues and suicide is up uh so therefore if you don't do this uh gender affirming care or then or you know what i call conversion therapy then they're then you're committing genocide okay so then we can move forward here we can talk about whoopi goldberg and then we can also talk about uh what i wanted to build this towards because we're already going to it knowing this transition that i didn't know about uh no pun intended don't get mad at me for using the word transition there right uh because uh this is all related right so Whoopi Goldberg said, my God, this is a party that says we believe in parents' rights. You're telling me that as a parent, I don't. I'm not smart enough to decide if my child and I need to have gender affirming or doctors are not involved. So, William, I actually think this is a fair point by by Whoopi Goldberg here. Now, there's a way to respond to it. However, if you do believe in parents' rights and freedom... Wouldn't you have to respect the parents' rights in this instance? Yes. And I think I remember just seeing on Twitter the other day, someone posted a video of a parent getting arrested because they had their like 15-year-old got a piercing or something, and piercing is not legal for children before a certain age in some state. So I'm not saying, you know, we can have the separate discussion, like you said, about what, what, should and shouldn't be allowed what you should and shouldn't be allowed to do to a child. But like, let's pick a a little simpler example. We've talked about on the show way back in an earlier season about, uh, what was it? The Christian scientists or some, some religious sect that refuses medical care under certain circumstances, citing religious reasons and the state steps in because you don't have a right to remove, you know, to, to, to prevent care that would lead to the death of a child. Right. In other words, child, children are not property. That's, I think, the, the main argument that I would use to delineate what we're talking about here, right? Like, right. if children were property, then sure, yeah, you can mutilate them all you want. But we, we all right. understand, you know, we have a common law history of understanding that children are different than property. Well, and that's where this all becomes difficult, especially when you're talking about education as well, right? Because, and... I guess it's risky me saying this as a public school teacher, but at the end of the day, if I lose my job teaching public school for saying what is right, then so be it. But there are times where we recognize taking children away from the parents is more moral because it's more harmful to leave them with the parents. So we do recognize there are instances in where we say that the parents' rights don't extend to harming the child. This is, of course, the obvious response uh, to what Whoopi is saying. Now, in regards to the headline, William, Whoopi finishes up and she says, you're telling me your beliefs, your, and they keep saying it. What, what Bible are you reading? Because God was really clear. Now, this is where I think the headline from the Daily Wire is very clickbaity. And I don't know if it's an intentional misinterpretation, because I think what Whoopi is talking about here is the relationship between 
the child and the parents. And I think that's what she's claiming God was really clear on because that's pretty, the relationship between child and parent, parent and child is very clear in the, in the Bible. I don't think she is suggesting that, uh, the Bible supports parents getting trans surgery for kids. Yeah. What do you think? That makes sense. I think that makes sense. It makes makes more sense in context. And I think we're going to get super meta here because it relates to the example earlier when we talked about context. This whoopee quote is definitely out of context and putting it in the context, it makes a little, makes it sound a little less crazy, but also parental rights have a context, right? And right. I think that's what people are dropping when they say, well, I have a, I have a choice to cut off my child's penis, right? Or, right. or breasts. And it's like, right. no, 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 no. Parental rights are a thing and they have a context. You are the right. guardian custodian of this child until they can, ex- until they're old enough to express their, their full volition. Right. And that's where the good Kanye, bad Kanye comes in with Whoopi here, where the good Kanye is, yeah, we don't want the government getting involved with parent rights. But at the same time, this isn't about any principles on her part. This is just about her raging against people that she doesn't like. Just as Zoe Zephyr is saying, there's blood on your hands, right? They're going to extremes to what are they defending? What What a crazy world. Like, I hate when those videos of the, um, uh, of the gender affirming slash uh, conversion therapy surgeries come up. Like those are the people with literal blood on their hands. Aren't they Justin? This is crazy. Isn't it? Isn't this an literal, literal physical blood. And, and that, so that's the question I ultimately have for you, William about is this inversion? I think that's a great question and it makes me go to here. Here's the, here's the question. Isn't it an inversion? And William, you are a gay man. And you grew up in the time where gay marriage wasn't legal. Now it's become legal. Right? You grew up in the time where you've seen the guy who started Pride Parades be a hero and now he's a villain. Yeah. Right? You've seen all these transitions happen. And again, not using that tongue-in-cheek, it's just also a valid word here. It's also the perfect word here. Was all the paranoia justified? And what I mean by that, remember when people used to argue, well, if we legitimize homosexuality and we normalize it and we make it part of the common culture, it's only going to lead to bad consequences? Well, there's another article here from the New York Post about a CDC report, and I'm going to read a couple paragraphs here because this leads into the whole idea of blood on your hands, and I'll explain what I mean. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention's annual report of 17,232 students found that in 2021, about three quarters of teens between the ages of 14 and 18 claimed to be attracted only to the opposite sex. Of the remaining respondents, nearly 12% considered themselves bisexual, just over 2% or sorry, just over 3% were either gay or lesbian and 9% marked other which could also include those who identify as pansexual or asexual who have or have questioned their sexuality. The latest figures marked a record number of youngsters who do not identify as straight, approximately one in four students. And this is where I go back to the premise about uh, Zoe Zephyr saying you have blood on your hands because of, as you said, the transgender genocide of indirectly encouraging or leading to suicide by not allowing gender-affirming care. This is my thought. 
Before this became a mainstream issue, before this was in the conversation, and remember, as I said at the top of the show, a few years ago, I pointed out that transgender rights was the next big thing, and normalizing transgender was the next big thing, the next culture war that was going to be fought and pushed. Before all that, were there really that many people committing suicide because they didn't have gender-affirming care? If there's more suicides now because of that, is that an issue of there are that many transgender people who are self-actualized? Because I think the argument against what I said would be, oh, well, in the 50s, and I'm using the 50s because that's the the decade that's always brought up and it said, oh, the 50s is when things were terrible. In the 50s, people weren't allowed to be self-actualized enough to know how much they were suffering. So now mm-hmm. people are more in touch with their suffering, and that's why they're committing suicide more. Or... Is it something more insidious where because we've normalized things, are we really to believe only 75% of the population is naturally straight? Or am I just talking from a heteronormative perspective because it's unbelievable to me the heteronormative approach here? Right. And it's unbelievable to me that 25% of the population is not heterosexual. No, I think I think this is a I think think I think this is a false dichotomy. I think what has happened is two two things in my mind spring into mind. The first one is, and we've talked about this before, the narcissists have taken over the gay rights movement and turned it into the trans worship movement. Okay? And that has led to the second thing, which is we now, it's not that we extended tolerance. It's that we've extended and allowed and in fact made it a moral sacrosanct to shame. And who do we shame today? It's heterosexuality. We, 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 we have defined that as oppressive. And so it, it's not surprising that kids will feel like checking that box is somehow, or some kids will feel like checking that box is basically saying, I'm a slave owner. Does that make sense? Like we've we've so discouraged that that you are somehow you are not living to your full human moral per- potential if you're only heterosexual only, right? You have to join one of these tribes, these morally superior superior tribes, and it's super easy to just say, "Oh, I'm bi," right? Or "Oh, I'm gender fluid," right? Yeah. It 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 doesn't require anything, any character development to do that, right? In other right. words, you don't actually have to suck a dick if you're if you're a guy in order to call yourself bi. You can just say, "Oh, yeah. I looked at I looked at uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger once and thought, damn, he's attractive.' So therefore, I might I might I'm questioning my se- sexuality." Well, I've seen high school kids do that who say they're they're bi or pan, and they've never actually dated the opposite gender or sorry, the and, same gender. Yeah, and just to be clear, I'm not saying the opposite. I'm not saying the counterfactual either. Right? I'm not saying if if you're bi that you have to have had sex with both women and men. That's also not right. true. Right? Correct. The, the idea yeah. here is this becomes a moral like. It becomes a virtue signal. It becomes a pin that you wear on your shirt. It right. you know it becomes a a a, a bunch of of rituals that you do that right. that that show that you are morally superior. Well, and that's why I'm asking all of this. What you're asking the consequences is why I'm asking about the slippery slope argument and the idea of was all the paranoia justified? Because again, I don't think giving every human being the same rights and i don't even like the phrase giving because i believe in natural rights i don't you know acknowledging 
every human being has the same rights is the same as the push to normalize, right? Well, I think I think just to make the point even further, because I think this will this will uh, maybe you can riff off of this. Remember in the '90s and early 2000s, this just sudden opening of acceptance, right? The, like I remember when we were growing up, there was a lot of like just calling bullshit on intolerance, but there was also just a tremendous amount of irreverent. Basically, you could make fun of everyone and everything, right? So was, there was yeah. just this, you know, two things were true at the same time. There was way more tolerance, and I'm not saying it was perfect, right? And there was also a lot of ribbing and uh, and 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 sort of irreverent humor about different things, about different stereotypes. But when the pendulum swing, swung back, it wasn't that it swung back in the sense of like Christians had a resurgence, although there's been a little bit of that. It was that all that intolerance energy went into this, went into this, well, we're just going to, it's almost like a revenge on the heterosexuals, but from a lefty yes. perspective, that's yes. what happened. The pendulum swung back, but it didn't go it didn't go in the direction we expected or what, what what you predict from just a simple swing back. All that energy, you know, went into this, you know, diminishing traditional um, heterosexual relationships and basically calling it oppressive. Right. Because to me, William, it was never about what it should have been about. To me, it was always secondhanded. Yeah. And yeah. it being secondhanded, combining with this idea of interpersonal hostility could only end with what we're currently in. And what I mean by that is I I always used to when I was younger, do you remember where they used to chant, We're here, we're queer, get over it? Yeah. Right. No, sorry, get used to it. I apologize. I jumped it, ahead yeah. to I, I, I apologize. I jumped ahead to what I used to say. Right. They used to say, uh, we're here, we're queer, get used to it, right? And it was the idea that we exist as gay people, which, yeah, okay, great. But why do you need to like be like, we're here, we're queer, get used to it, right? Like, why does somebody else have to get used to what you are? I don't have to get used to what I like. And that's that's something I don't like. That 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 has to be something that, I mean, that's something that people do to me all the time where they say, oh, well, that's just the way people are, get used to it. So I'm just to, supposed to accept things I don't like. Now, I'm not... Obviously, William, you know, I don't particularly care or have an opinion if somebody's gay, right? Like, you know me personally, <laughs> right? You don't like me? All right. But we use that argument all the time, right? Like, oh, well, you know, people are always going to be uh, bad drivers and put you in danger. Just just get used to it. Oh, so we're just supposed to accept when society is degrading, right? And my argument is that they're presenting it in the same way, which yeah. is the which is the problem. Because I always used to say in response, okay, you're gay, get over it. Like, it's just a fact of reality, right? Why why is this something that you need to push in people's faces? And I think it's resulted in everything you're saying because it's secondhanded in that way. And I think it necessarily leads to the the slippery slope argument being true because, William, didn't we also see this week people talking a lot about trans-abled people? Yeah. Which was is crazy enough, right? Right. So I well, I want to read a couple paragraphs about this. Well, let so me I let found... me make a quick point. I think the transition, okay. just to summarize it all up, I think the transition that you're talking about is when when it became about uh, it, it transitioned from leave us alone 
to worship us. Yes. And that's the, that's the thing. It comes back, it connects back to one other thing that I know I've talked about on earlier seasons of my complete, I, I didn't, for years, I never went to a pride parade because for me, it wasn't a matter of pride. Being gay wasn't a matter of pride, right? Being who I am is a matter of pride. True. But there was all this, I, I couldn't sort out, and we talked about it on the show several times, I couldn't sort out, like, what, what are we actually trying to say, right? Like, what is this pride that we're showing, and we're showing all this, like, depravity? Like, what is the actual, where's the pride in this, right? And, and what, are, what is there to be proud of? And no one was talking about how understanding yourself, like, you could have turned pride into, hey, understanding yourself and, your, and who you are. And make it a very positive thing, but it, it it was morphing into this worship us thing. And looking back, I can see that now. You know, now that we've seen so much in the trans uh, in the trans hijacking of the gay rights movement, um, the transing, the the transitioning, uh, the 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 affirming care of the of the trans rights movement, I can really see that a lot more clearly now. Well, even that phrase, right, affirming care, right? Yeah, worship. I think it, worship. Well, right. Worship because it reveals something that is lacking that people are putting into these conditions and approaching from a second-handed manner. Now, if you know what being second-handed is and you've read Fountainhead, you already know where I'm going with this. But I just want to use the trans-abled discussion to talk about this. So I found an article which I thought was pretty good. It says explained who are transabled and why is everyone talking about it it's from dnaindia.com i don't know if this is a reputable source or not however i liked these two paragraphs i think it sums it up pretty well so i am vouching for the quality of this i'm not vouching for the author i'm not saying this is a good website i'm simply saying i read this and i judged this to be worthwhile First paragraph, are you wondering about who trans-abled people are and why is everyone talking about it? Trans-abled people are individuals who desire to be disabled despite being physically healthy. This might involve going to extreme lengths to fulfill this desire, such as intentionally injuring oneself, undergoing necessary surgeries, unnecessary surgeries or amputations, or using wheelchairs or other mobility aids when it is not necessary. So, William, before I go into the second paragraph... What response do you have to that description? That sounds like body dysmorphia. Right. It sounds like mental illness, does it not? Yep. Okay. I say that because the second paragraph discusses this. Recently, there's been a lot of talk about trans-abled people as society grapples with how to understand and support this community. Many people are curious about what motivates someone to want to be disabled, and there's a lot of debate around whether transabled people should be supported or discouraged. This is where I'm talking about. This sentence, William, is where I'm talking about the phenomenon we just described gets entered into the discussion. Because this idea, how do we understand and support this community? Why do we have to support them? Should it be supported or discouraged? Why would we support it? Right? Because this idea that you are healthy and you want to be unhealthy... That is definitionally bad. That is definitionally immoral. Agree or disagree, William? Yeah, I agree. All right. Trans, trans ability 
may be a kind of body dysmorphia, a mental health condition in which sufferers experience anxiety over a perceived physical imperfection or defect. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. This is one explanation for transibility. This apparent flaw in the case of transabled people can be the presence of a limb or other body part that they believe does not belong to their real identity. They might feel more in tune with their genuine self by getting rid of or changing this bodily component. William, it is my opinion that all of this comes down to self-esteem. All of this trans stuff comes down to self-esteem, whether it be transgender, transable, transage, all comes down to self-esteem. It is where your self-concept is not congruent with your self-reality. And because of that, it creates anxiety and other negative mental repercussions. And as I've said numerous times, I do not understand why we jump to cutting the body before we jump to treating the mind. But a large part of it is what you just said. It's the externalization. So I think the underlying root of everything you were just talking about is a complete lack of self-esteem that people want to gain by having the external world give them the self-esteem rather than finding it internally. And I think it connects back to misinformation. We do not have the mechanisms to generate a healthy self-esteem in our society, right? You could argue that the decline of religion, you know, religion gave some sort of sense of self-esteem, right? Think of the Protestant work ethic and things like that, right? I would say it was incomplete, right? They're still collectivist, but it gave that uh, idea of, of, a, of a building a self-esteem and it had its own problems. But what we've replaced it with is the, this, this, uh, this externalization of all things that you were talking about. And now there is no, no one talks about building their moral character right? Instead, we talk about uh, identifying the right way so that you can get moral kudos from the tribe. I think that's a, a great dichotomy to draw. Is the It used to be you had to develop your moral character. Now, you have to be affirmed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's no not, longer it's development, not that I'm moral, it's affirmation. Like, yeah, and, and, and hey, we appreciate affirmations even on this show, right? But we, we, we would do this show without any affirmations, right? This I is, mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't really get affirmations. I say that as a joke. <laughs> but, but, the, but the point still stands. Like, this is we're, – we're doing this because it's the right thing for us to do. It's what we find moral. Because remember, well, yeah. morality is every choice we make is morality. That, that, Correct. That's, that, that's something that I think – that gets to the point I'm making, which is we don't teach people to think in moral terms, to – contextualize things in their life to understand who they are as an individual how can you have self-esteem if you can't do those things right and and i think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about wanting to be left alone turning into wanting to be affirmed and i want to be clear about something which turns into want to be worshipped which is a whole different thing that's the narcissism right well that's where you add the narcissism to it which is coming in from other elements as well but what i want to be clear about is i think when you most want affirmation is when you most are receiving negativity. And what I say by that, what I mean by that is if you have a healthy self-esteem and then 
you keep getting negative blowback and you're not getting any external reflection, any psychological reflection, you then start to doubt yourself, which then leads to an undermining of your self-esteem. And sometimes you want that affirmation, right? Sometimes you need it. It's not that affirmation is never needed. It's when affirmation becomes a replacement for your self-esteem. But look, I, I think we have to recognize that there was, when we're talking about the homosexual community, there was a lot of negative response for a long time. And that's why they were looking for that external. That's why coming out was such a story, right? Yes. Was, was because, and, and it was a story that even people who weren't homosexual could connect to is because as, as you, come to this realization, you see all the negative pressures around it back then, the affirmation from the community that existed, even if, even if you, you know, didn't connect with all of the, all of it, right. Was still valuable. Right. And I think as, as we have moved to this more worship side, like that replacing, we, I think we could, we could probably expand on it. Um, maybe even a uh, a, this might even be a blog post, Justin, of this replacing self esteem with affirmation, and I think that 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 is the current culture, right? We if we look back even further, right? If we look back to let's say founding times and all the talk about character, moral character, right? Versus today's discussion is all about affirmation. I think it'd be super interesting to look at that transition. Yeah, because I. I I'd rather than use the term self-esteem, I'd rather go back to our dichotomy of development versus affirmation. And I think it's because let's use the example of, of coming out, like you said, used to be. Yeah, that was a development, right? That was a developmental step, right? Right. Because when you came out, you came out to people who were close to you and you weren't looking to be affirmed by them in the entire community. I would think if you were a parent or like, you know, I think of as a, as a teacher, if somebody were to come out to me, right? I wouldn't say, I'd be like, okay, you're gay. I acknowledge that. I accept that. Like it is what it is. Now, how is this moment in your life going to help you become a better version of yourself? What are you going to do for yourself going forward? Because as much as you told me, and as much as I'm glad to hear you and listen to you, me listening to you and me not giving you any negative reinforcement right now and me giving you positive reinforcement right now It's just in this moment. You have to live with you for the rest of your life. I'm not with you all the time. You can't simply rely on this conversation as the development of yourself. But I think with everything we've talked about, the development changed into affirmation and the development was lost in those conversations where Mm -hmm. coming out became performative. It didn't become uh, communicative. Well, and, and it not only replaces, you know, that that development, I think it also replaces genuine relationships, right? Because now there's this performative dance, right? Like, uh, you know, just to give an example, you know, I, I joined a new kickball team, right? We have, we're having practice. And uh, everyone goes around and introduce themselves and their pronouns, and I don't. I don't use my pronouns. I don't, I, you know, when someone asks me my pronouns, I don't, I, I treat like, treat it like nothing has been said. And, uh, you know, they tried to, the, the coach, the coach was like, oh yeah, pronouns like, no, that's okay. 
I had to say that twice before they moved Is this on. specifically a gay or LGBTQ yes. whatever lease? Yes. Okay. Yes. That adds some but, context. But it, it becomes performative, right? right? It's part yes. of the social bonding. It's it's it, yes. a pseudo-social bonding. It's not real social right. bonding, right? Well, this... Like, ooh, let's share our pronouns. It's like, what, what are we even talking about? I'm trying to learn well, out everyone's name. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Let's put it... <laughs> Correct. Well, I mean, I have students who go the whole year and they don't know each other's name and they sit in a classroom with 20 other kids for the year. They get to the end of the school year. They don't know the names of any other kid in the room. Like, yeah. how do you do that? I right? don't know. Can you imagine? Like, dude, I remember I, I used to joke around like I'm, I'm terrible at remembering names. But when I was in high school, I probably knew everyone. We had 650 kids, so it's not like that we had that much. I probably knew everyone's name. Was that your experience, Justin? Did you know, like... I mean, I only had a bigger kids K through 12, yeah. yeah. But I will say, currently, I don't know everyone's name because it's not possible because I sit in one room all day. Yeah. But well, well, my I point was in high school, as a student, right? Like, those kids... Yeah, we're a small school district, too. You knew everyone's name, right? Like, you knew you knew things about almost everyone, right? Yes. Yes. And, and I mean, it I was true that's, in college. That's definitely not true anymore. Right. Yeah. It's, well, yeah, correct. Because there are no relationships. Because this is where it all wraps back to, right? And this is the point. I'm back to put the pseudo-relationships. Yeah. The pseudo-relationships. And they're pseudo-relationships because, as the quote from Fountainhead goes, to say I love you, one, one must be able to say, first be able to say the I. Yeah. And people can't have relationships because they don't know who they are. Because they're looking for the world to tell them who they are. Mm-hmm. All right. As you said, we could go on and on about this, but I think that's a good place to leave the discussion for now because I'm sure this will continue. This is not over. We're going to see trans able to come up more and more and more and more, and we're going to see more about trans genocide come up more and more and more, unfortunately. So this conversation will continue. For now, let's talk into and transition into something else, uh, perhaps more uplifting. We'll talk about it in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. As always, if you want to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Uh, I'm actually replying to a comment in the Discord right now because we've got a couple people listening. We've got Midsider Lucid listening. We've got Midsider Josh. He was listening. I think he might have left, but he was contributing earlier. It's great to hear people uh, during the show, during the week, if you want to you know, drop some farce in here for us to witness if you want to witness some farce and have a conversation with us you can do so go to the midside.com slash podcast or the midside.com click on any episode and on the episode link you uh, have a link to have the discord join code so do that now do that later do that not at all i like it if you join but i don't really care ultimately hold on let me finish responding to this comment so uh, Midsider Lucid said it's also a mechanism for control and subversion, which you must affirm, which means accept something subjective or worse as objective truth. And I'm saying yes, which destroys developing because you can only develop 
through truth and reality. Okay. So, one of these ways we develop through truth and reality is our use of art. Because art is a way we can play with reality and look at things as they could be or as they are and exaggerate things. And that's why I've always been a fan of science fiction is because you can take reality and warp it in a specific way to play with it. So because of that, the movie Polite Society stood out to me. Polite Society is about a Pakistani family in England, and it focuses on the younger of two daughters. The older daughter has graduated from high school and gone to art school and dropped out, and the younger daughter wants to be a stunt woman. Throughout the the movie, the younger daughter is dealing with the potential loss of her older sister to a marriage and it's a kind of a sort of arranged marriage because they're Pakistani so there are issues here with Muslim culture and the patriarchal nature of it and how it's oppressive towards women Uh, I'm going to read now my one sentence review of this movie let me pull up my letterboxed here I was closed out of the review hold on Nope, don't want to add a film. Go to personal profile. Some of these apps have so many tabs that it takes forever. Okay, here we go. Polite Society is a mashup of many successful director styles without quite establishing its own approach. Uh, I gave this a just a middle of the road. Uh, what's the middle of the road? Uh, bro rating. Bro, because yeah. look, there's some good stuff about this. There's some bad stuff about it. Uh, the bad, the, the main bad part is what I just said. It's very uneven. It, it, it starts out almost like Scott Pilgrim versus the world where because she wants to be a stunt woman, she just randomly fights people and nobody ever acknowledges that like the fights are as bad as they are. Sort of like in Scott Pilgrim, how it's got that video game tone to it and these fights happen and then, you know, everyone just moves on. Well, she fights a bully at school and like they destroy the library And the scene ends with one of the administrators saying, come see me. But then it cuts to another scene and there are no consequences to it. Likewise, she has a fight with her sister later and fights other characters. And, you know, physical damage is done and bleeding occurs and property damage is done. But then there are no consequences to it. So it's like, is this real? Is this hallucination? Uh, There's sort of a Tarantino-esque aesthetic going on where... The overlay is very simplistic graphics that are, they just like pop up and they give exposition as what's going on, whereas there's a gritty realism almost to the cinematography. And then I don't want to spoil anything because I do think this is, you know, it's entertaining and it's, it's worth seeing. I wouldn't you know call it an amazing movie, but you know, if you have nothing else to watch, like there was nothing else out this weekend. So we went to see this instead of, you know, staying home and like watching. My wife had talked about the new Chris Evans and a Darmus movie on Amazon Prime that didn't particularly stand out to me. But, I you know, I wanted to see this because it seems sort of inventive and new. Uh, and I don't so I don't want to spoil the ending. However, it goes in like a Jordan Peele direction at, at the end of it, where it was so absurd and over the top that I was sort of like. Is this real or is the main character hallucinating all of this? 
Am I supposed to accept this as real in the universe? So I think the biggest mistake of the movie is, one, not establishing its own rules. I, I just sort of didn't really know what was going on, and I was waiting for a twist. And then at the at the end, the way this, the wannabe wanting to be a stunt woman plot is, is resolved, it, it felt very tacked on. So I think they set up a lot. And they had a good idea of what they wanted to do. And I think they're making a good point. I think overall, the sort of like how Get Out had the idea of appropriation. And it was just such a terribly executed twist to concretize appropriation. Right. The idea of taking uh, white people's brains and putting them in black bodies and then black people end up in the sunken place in their own psychology because of it. I just think that that is just completely ridiculous. It doesn't really capture what appropriation really is. I do think that the twist here does show the underlying issues with with Islamic culture. And I, I do think the absurd way they go in this does show that. However, they, they're undermining themselves by the very uneven execution with the two issues uh, I noted with the not establishing the own own rules. So you kind of don't know as a viewer what to accept. And then also that the way they just, they literally use a, a text message to wrap up the stunt woman plot line, which is just, it's just kind of cheap nowadays. It's There's very Dave's pregnant. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a major spoiler though, because it's very <laughs> tacked on. Like, no, literally the climax happen happens and that's the result of the, the falling action does that make oh, sense man. yeah yeah that's such a that's such a this generation thing right is right uh, and then it, and then there was a text message the end right <laughs> right no exactly and, and it very much felt that way and it, and it was unfortunate because of i wanted to see that's what i'm saying right where she's randomly fighting all these people right like in scott pilgrim right that's why I, i'm i'm referring to you know edgar wright and scott pilgrim here uh and she wants to be a stunt woman, that should have been very easy to integrate. You could have yeah. made this the way she interpreted it. And then maybe at the end of the movie, this is her telling a story about what actually happened, and this is how she's pitching a movie. So it's a movie about her making a movie about what happened, and she's the stunt woman. It. Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. That They could have resolved that better there. Instead, it's just sort of like, why did we have the stunt woman thing? Why did we have them fighting? in the way they were fighting because you could have done this as a straight drama and taken out sort of some of the more fantastical elements of it. And it still would have been a compelling drama and it wouldn't have been naturalistic because this character was the whole conflict of this movie is the, the main character is making choices and continuing to stick by what she believes is right. Even though everyone is telling her it's wrong and ultimately she is proven correct. And that's what makes it a worthwhile movie and what, what makes it a romantic story. It's just there's a lot of interesting and subpar execution choices that are made. Okay, let's move on. That was the review of a movie that came out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out. And Saturday, the day before we record, I usually put the trailers in Discord. That's to give you an option. You can watch them whenever you want. Maybe you watch them before the episode. Maybe you watch them after the episode. Maybe you watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. 
first trailer. Disney's Wish is the latest live action. I, why did I say live action? Because I'm so... How, William... How used to am I uh, of Disney live action that I just said that? That my brain automatized that? This is animated, Justin. Animated. How used to live action reimaginings am I, though? Jesus. All right. This is Disney's latest animated feature. Animated. It seems to be set in Spain. It seems to be set in a world where wishes exist and can come true. Now, I am going to be positive towards this trailer, and I am going to give two reasons why one uh, i like this animation style it looks like a blend william and i'm laughing because of a pre-show conversation we had it looks like a blend between pixar's 3d style with classic disney animation so it looks like they figured how to make classic disney animation in 3d and that feel brings up a lot of feels for me it's hard for me to not associate that with positive art I have seen in the past, right? It's like imagining if they had re... It's like remastering Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, liking all of these movies in 3D. This looks like down to the goat sidekick of the main character, this looks like that kind of style. And the second thing is, content-wise... There is a villain in this who says the way to make your wishes come true is to give me all your wishes. I don't know how I don't interpret that as a way of being like, if you give things over to other people or government or a power structure, they're going to make things worse for you. It, It seems to hit all the right notes. And I know Disney is super woke right now. I mean, we talked about, uh, what was that strange world? How awful and terrible that was it's probably one of the worst if not the worst disney animated movie i've ever seen if not the worst one ever made but this one looks like completely in the other direction so maybe there are people within the company not knowing what other people are doing so i'm going to say right now i'm going to hug this hug yeah so uh looking at the preview or the, the 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 trailer on its own this looked promising. It's not exactly the kind of uh, Disney movies that I like. Um, you know, I'm more of a Aladdin fan, of course. Um, but it looked interesting. The song seemed right. The animation style seemed all right. But Justin, just like you uh, skipped right to calling it live action, just out of habit. I- I'm sorry, my gut reaction with Disney is is always question marks, right? Like, wh- where's the political agenda? We talked about it a little bit during pre-show, but like, I was even skeptical. I looked at the YouTube comments, and they're all talking about the animation style in the same way. And the first thing I said to you, Justin, was like, are we sure we're not being botted here? Meaning, like, are these actual uh, reviews real, right? We're like, we. It's hard to trust Disney, right? And well, I read the comments, and aren't they exactly what I just said? They are that, but but then but that was my, my independent thought. I didn't read the yeah. comments before you told yeah. me to, and that helps assuage me a bit. But you can understand my skepticism, right? Completely. This is a Disney, yeah, this is a Disney that's been gaslighting us for so long that I'm skeptical of something that actually looks decent. But Justin, I had to also bring up that that this may still this may be a combination of Disney actually trying to do something good, but still doing all the checkbox stuff. Um, so there's a thread on Twitter uh, from uh, a Spanish person uh, who said, I ain't mad because I 
kind of don't care how Americans represent us. But this is all all the wrong things you could possibly represent Spaniards as. To summarize, this is the equivalent of doing a movie about a black slaver in Africa and representing him as the good guy. Now, why is that? It's because this is in this is the Moors. This is the and the tweet continues. The Moors weren't part of Spain. They invaded Spain, enslaved people, and got a hold of the lower half for centuries until they were pushed out by force. Uh, if this movie is about a moral girl in Spain, then she isn't a Spaniard. She's a colonizer and a slaver. Now, this person goes on to say, like, she she doesn't really care, but it's just because uh, this, this is a very leftist person. I could tell by all the uh, by the trans flag in front of the front of it. But even this person is calling out like, hey, this is still checkbox diversity, uh, even in even in a story that looks decent. Now, but wouldn't they say, have wouldn't they have said in the 90s, though, that Aladdin was checkbox diversity? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So isn't this isn't this thread possibly a good sign? Because I don't know, look, I don't know how you look at this trailer, William, and be like, oh, this is a more girl and she's a slaver. Do you get uh, what I'm saying? She addresses this later in the thread. Someone asked her about that, and uh, let me see if I can pull it up. But from memory, it was like the name um, and the architecture. There was a couple things she called out, and like for a Spanish person, this is clearly Moorish, um, where they are, the but, time period. But then it also becomes the argument of, can we not tell any story from history because there was always immorality and evil and, and slavery exactly. going on? Exactly. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that I agree with this criticism. I'm just saying it's interesting, yeah. right? Yes. Like this, especially because it's coming from someone who appears to be from the left, right? Yeah. And so, so if I'm skeptical and someone from the left is skeptical, but we both like the preview, then this is intriguing, right? I think this is a hug. Hug. Second trailer. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy. Uh, I don't know. When I, when I I dropped this trailer in here before I watched it, I was very skeptical because The Hunger Games is such a great premise that was executed so poorly in the, the first three movies first four movies there was only one movie i enjoyed and i thought this was just going to be like a cheap prequel but i will say execution wise it looked like they executed this very well right it doesn't look like they spared any expenses it looks like they're trying to do a legitimate high budget high quality trailer now or high quality prequel now the issue then becomes with the content this seems to be the prequel because it seems to be about the time, the, the the 10th games, when they transitioned from simply having the games occur to having them be a Super Bowl-esque spectacle and having it be another way, you know, they're, they're deepening how they're controlling people with the broadcasting of the games, right? It seems to be when they turn the games into a broadcast and a sport that year. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just have questions about that. Can we understand that without having seen the first 10 games or at least seen one of the 10 games? Because how do we understand how things are so different if we haven't first been shown what the original games were like? And likewise, why does it repeat with District 12 and and Aldous Snow's uh, ancestor? Right? Why is that repeat? But then we get into the Star Wars discussion about how epics repeat. Right? We also have uh, Caesar Flickerman's ancestors, the one broadcasting. But again, we get into how 
epics repeat. I just think looking at this, ultimately, it shows how the Hunger Games is a brilliant idea, but perhaps it wasn't done in the best possible way. And what I mean by that is, the main problem with the three Hunger Games movies that were bad is they tried to make them super gritty naturalism. Why would you not do the following if you want to do this? Do number the first movie. Make it the first Hunger Games and have that be gritty realism because this isn't broadcast yet. There's not a lot of technology involved with it. This is just a ceremony, a ritual sacrifice that is done, and you can really focus on the naturalism. Then as you evolve, jump forward to the 10th Games. Start having it be more exaggerated over the top, more pageantry. Then as you go into the pageantry for the 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 trilogy with Jennifer Lawrence, then you can have it be over the top and exaggerated. Because again, the, the main problem I had with that is those were supposed to have a lot of pageantry in them, but they were washed out in naturalistic cinematography wise. So I don't know, I just don't have a lot of hope for this where I think it'll have the same incongruency of the first four where they're trying to do a big budget movie, but they're trying to have this sort of grittiness to it that, that doesn't work. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think even the novels get this, like don't do this premise justice. And that's unfortunate. Now, I don't know if this is... So, just to interrupt, I think the novels could get away with it because they were from a first-person perspective. So, because Katniss's perspective was limited, it was easier to say she didn't see everything in in the full. But when you're a movie and you're trying to show the full, you have to get beyond her perspective. Yeah. Yep. And I think think that putting it on the silver screen has made it... uh, made its uh, uh, flaws apparent, right? Now... I agree with that. Now, I think this one is also based on a book, right? A prequel book. Yeah, prequel novel. Yeah. And so I think it's going to, I think it can't avoid these problems because now we don't have a consistent narrator or I'm assuming, you know, we had a, we had a fairly consistent person's perspective, even though, like you said, the part of the problem is that you have to show the wider perspective, but now we're going to be jumping all over the place. And I don't think, I don't think this kind of story can work um, on film. I just don't think it's going to work. The premise is, at this point, not novel, and it's not going to be able to carry you through the movie, I don't think, especially because you know where this story goes. I don't, this didn't look interesting to me. So, Justin, I'm going to tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Next Goal Wins is the new movie by, how do you say his name, William Wakiti? How do you say it? I don't know. All right. He's the guy who did Jojo Rabbit. He's the guy who did the last two Thor movies. And this movie is about when Thomas Rongen was fired from being the coach of the U.S. men's national soccer team and became the coach of the American Samoa soccer team. Uh, I never knew Thomas Rongen became the coach of the American Samoa soccer team. What I know about Thomas Rongen is as follows. He was the head coach of the New England Revolution for the second and third years the New England Revolution existed. He became the U.S. men's national team coach at a certain point. Uh, And... He is a very smarmy, pretentious person. Uh, I don't think he's very good. U.S. soccer has been corrupt for a long time in the sense that it's very who you know, not how good you are. It's very politically motivated in that way, not in the sense of left or right, but in the sense that 
who you know is how gets you ahead. And this is an example of when you take somebody who doesn't really know something and they try to make a movie about something they don't really know about where you end up with making the movie about the wrong person. The idea in my life that I'm seeing a movie about Thomas Rongen is absolutely ridiculous to me. I want you to think if you're a fan of, like, comics or you're a fan of a band or a a music scene or you're a fan of a sport, and I want you to think of, like, a random coach or, like, a random band or a random drummer in a band or a random producer in the scene or a random writer or illustrator in comics, and then he was pretty unremarkable and a little annoying personality wise. And somehow a movie gets made about him. And then the movie is made about him by somebody else who is equally sort of as pretentious and swarmy. That's what this movie is. So for me, this is a hard tackle. Tackle. Isn't this just cool runnings for American Samoa? I'm going to tackle it. Tackle. Fourth trailer. Maggie Moore's is a... I I thought it was going to be a mystery, but then they gave away a lot of it in the trailer. It's sort of like a a crime comedy. It's directed by John Slattery, who played uh, Roger Sterling on Mad Men. It also stars John Hamm from Mad Men. Uh, Tina Fey is in this. It doesn't look particularly bad, but it also doesn't look particularly good. It looks like John Hamm did a favor for John Slattery by being in this, and then he brought along his friend Tina Fey because John Hamm and Tina Fey have done a lot together. And it looks like they've got a pretty good cast. It doesn't look like it's terribly directed. And the premise is kind of interesting. I just wish the entire the trailer hadn't given away everything. And, you know, this premise of multiple people named Maggie Moore are murdered and we're going to find out why, like that would have been a cool question until you gave away the answer, essentially, uh, it's just not enough to, as much as I enjoy John Hamm, not enough to make me want to see uh, this. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this looked really, like, I, this looked like a great premise that was ruined by the by the trailer, but it looks like it's not going to be put together very well at all. Um, I, I don't know. Like, this could have been something funny, I think, but but it, it doesn't look like it doesn't look like any attention was paid to like how to write this right. I think I'm just gonna leave it alone. Tackle. Final trailer. Robots is about a society where robots have been invented and in, with an element of AI that do the things Americans don't want them to do. For instance. This one, I don't want to say couple because they don't start as a couple. This guy and this girl have robots of, uh, I want to be clear, the robots are of themselves. So these robots that exist, like you don't want to go do your job. So you send your Robert or your robot to do your job for you. Well, the this one man and one woman use the robot to date for them, which I, I don't even understand that. Why would you like of all things that humans do, you don't want to date? Like, are we at the point where we've become so, I can't even think of the word right now about dating that we don't even want to do it. I don't, it's not jaded. It's, it's where you psychologically can't handle it. Oh, okay. 
I can't I can't think of the word. I'll think of it eventually. I was, I'm going to be watching the Bruins game tonight, and the word's going to come to my head. Right? But why, why of all human things would you not want to date? Well, what ends up happening is the robots fall in love with each other because the robots are idealized versions of these people, and the robots run off with each other and steal the identity of the people. And this becomes a comedy because we get to see the incompetent human beings try to take their lives back from the robots. I'm just, William, I'm sick of AI stories. I'm sick of variations on (laughs) AI is going to take our life over and destroy us. We need to be afraid of it. Because we're now to the point that we have a stupid sort of um, hangover style romantic comedy about AI. I just, now I've seen what, that Megan, the horror version of AI. Now this is the romantic comedy of AI. Like, do we have to keep making this same fucking movie over and over again, just slightly different? Tackle. Tackle. Yeah. Uh, derivative, I think, is the only word I have to say here. It just feels very derivative. Like someone said, oh, AI is in the news. Let's let's write a romantic comedy. Like, yeah. No thanks. Tackle. All right, William, that brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip? <clears throat> that you, you have discovered that I send a robot to do these uh, episodes with you. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I just learned that I'm talking to a robot every week. That makes me feel <laughs> even crazier. <laughs> you know, thanks for listening because now I know it's just me talking <laughs> to the corner of my closet to a robot. So without you guys listening, that'd be super fucking crazy at this point. So although I noticed that Midsider Lucid signed out of Discord during the trailer takedown. So maybe you guys don't like trailer takedown. But you know what? I enjoy trailer (laughs) takedown. And maybe Williams Robot does. So we're going to keep doing it. (laughs) If you want to support the show, you could do so by going to midside.com slash store. Pick up some merch. The midside.com slash the cut. Buy my novel you can also do the midside.com slash patreon midside.com slash locals i'd say we accept any and all support including affirmations but i'm more focused on my own development right now so i don't need yo observations affirmations affirmations Affirmations. all right patreon and locals that is how we keep the lights on though so you know make it so i can keep paying my podbean membership and keep paying for the website every month thanks i appreciate that of course the best way to grow the show is to tell a friend tell a female friend tell a what is what is the opposite of transabled abled you're just an abled female friend i hate that we need to use words to describe like what's just normal just like disabled yeah it's a slur just like uh, cisgender is a slur we should treat it as a slur do they say cisabled now i don't know but I'm I'm telling you if we if if cis I I kind of consider cisgender uh, a slur I think uh, you should you should not it's it's giving into the anti concept if you try to use that word so that's true. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have a self esteem developing day. So what's the next robot, or sorry, AI-premised movie that we're going to have? If we're going to have a, a, a comedy, are we going to have zombie movie, AI zombie movie? 
I mean, that makes sense because after warm bodies with sentient zombies, now we need to have AI zombies. Although Zack Snyder kind of did that with Army of the Dead, didn't he? That's true. Yeah. So I'm sure that's probably where the Army of the Dead prequel is going. So there you go. You didn't even know you hit on something. <laughs> 